Okay. We are holding um, in the very last few prakim, last chapters of Shoftim. As I said, that Amir Sashem tonight, we will finish up the, um, the Sefer of Shoftim, the book of Shoftim, the second um, Sefer of the Nevi'im, and that we've been learning, starting from Yeshua and then Shoftim. Um, and as I also told you last week, that it would be nice to end with a happy story, but that's not the case. Um, last week and this week, last week we did Prokim Yudzain and Yudches, 17 and 18, and that was the story of the idol, the pestle of Micha, um, and the whole story of how that um, idol traveled from place to place and ultimately became um, a, house, a house of uh, idolatry that was in the Shevet, or in the area of the Shevet of Dun, which stood for many, many years and was a really a stain on the Jewish people of the time. That was the story of chapter 17 and 18. The last three chapters, 19, 20, and 21, which is the ending of the Sefer, is known as the story of Pilegesh Begiva, literally the concubine in Giva, as we're going to see tonight, um, which was uh, definitely the most severe story and, se- and severe civil war within Klal Yisrael, as we'll see, um, that ever happened up until that time for sure, and maybe ever. Um, as we'll see, an entire Shevet was really almost wiped off the map, literally, um, as we're going to see and learn tonight. And again, a very sad story and ending of this, of this uh, more than more than not sad safer of the Book of Shevetim, something we've discussed a number of times. And I also want to mention again that this story is not in chronological order. We mentioned that last week as well that these final two stories, the story of, of the Pesel, the idol of Micha, and the story of the Pilegesh Begiva, the concubine in Giva, are both not, didn't happen at the end of the period of the Shaftim. To the contrary, um, the Pasuk doesn't say exactly when it does happen, and different Mepharshim have different uh, uh, thoughts on it, but definitely it was towards the beginning of the time of the Shaftim. Um, in fact, some say it was very close to the beginning, in the times just before Asniel ben Kenaz, right after Yehoshua. Um, again, the, the, the Pasuk, the Pesukim don't say when it happened. It just says it was in that time when there was no Melech. And that's a oft-repeated verse um, in these Prakim. Ein Melech be Yisrael, there is no king amongst the Jewish people. It's a time of anarchy, and that's why these tragedies occur. Um, and as one, one last point is, as we also mentioned last time, that there's no shofet talked about in these two stories. Not in the story of the Pesel of Micha, the idol of Micha, not in the story of Pilagish of Giva. In neither of these are there any shoftim or tzaddikim that are mentioned. Um, although one tzaddik is mentioned in short, as we'll see tonight. But it wasn't, um, it's not really a time when shoftim are present in the stories. It's just indicative of the lawlessness um, of the time. So that's the introduction to what we're going to be looking at again tonight. So the Perik starts, Perik Yutas, chapter 19, starts again with those words, Umelach Ein Bi Yisrael. That's how the chapter begins. Um, let me see the very first words, Perik Yutas. Vayihibayami Mohim, it was in those days, Umelach Ein Bi Yisrael, there is no king amongst the Jewish people. Amongst the Jewish people. Okay. And it starts, it says, there was a man from the tribe of Levi. Who lives? I'm sorry. Who lives in Yarkese Ephraim? He lives in the areas of Ephraim, and he travels. Hey, Rabbi yes. Rabbi, you've got cut off for a minute. Where is the man from? 
he's 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 a man from Levi, from the tribe of Levi, but he lives in the area of Ephraim. Um, you'll recall that Levi didn't have an area in Eretz Yisrael, so they lived all over. And this was a man of Levi. He lived in the area of Ephraim, and he took for himself a wife from the place called Beis Lechem Yehuda. It was Beis Lechem that was in the area of Yehuda. Um, this woman was called a Pilegish. A Pilegish is really a Pilegish. It's called, in English, it's translated as a concubine. It's really a wife, but it's without, um, usually without a ksuva. Um, it's a man and woman uh, living together as a, as a husband and wife, but without all of the um, full halachas of marriage. And it's something that does not exist um, anymore already for well over a thousand years, that concept. But basically, he was married to her. Um, and this woman leaves him and goes back to her parents' home. That's how the story begins. There was some um, uh, un, uh, unhappiness between them, between husband and wife, and she leaves and goes back to her father's home in Beis Lechem Yehuda. Now, it's interesting to note, um, and that is that in both of these stories have a very interesting reoccurring theme, that there is a person, a levy, and he's traveling and comes and is connected to Beis Lechem Yehuda. Um, the Mepharshim point that out without giving real explanation to that. But in the previous story, the story of the uh, Pesel, of the idol, so you had Micha who had the idol, and there was a Levi, who you, again, we spoke about this last week, and the Levi comes from the tribe of Yehuda, and he becomes the Kohen for Micha. And in a very similar twist of events in the next story, there's again a Levi, and he's marrying a woman from Beis Lechem Yehuda, and she goes back home. We'll see how these these two stories really, um, they're very different types of stories, and yet both of them are very terrible, and both of them have a lot of points where we see a connection between them. So the people playing in the story are same tribe and same places, interestingly. Anyhow, she leaves him, um, the Gemara says, they got into some... Uh, marital discord, uh, arguments, and she leaves. She goes back to her parents' home. Who comes after, he, he after a couple of months, um, comes looking for her, and he comes to her parents' home, and her father is very happy to have to, to have him and to try to bring them together again. In fact, the Pusik says that the father receives him and makes a big uh, festive meal and keeps him there a couple of days. For a couple of days, they're uh, sort of a mishtev, a simcha, they celebrate together. He wants to leave after a third day, and the father-in-law holds him back, a, f- a fifth day. It's interesting how much the father-in-law wants him to stay. But finally, the fifth evening, he takes his wife and their servant, and they leave. And they start traveling home. And here they come, they pass by, and it gets late at night, and they have to stop over somewhere, and they come near the city of Yivus, which the Yivusi was a... Um, I don't know why that's happening. Um, you, I'm, I'm being heard. Yivus, right? Yes, Yivus, 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 which is the name Yivusi, which is the um, a nation of of, of uh, Israel at the time, not Jews. Is that, that is that uh, the Yivus actually the origin of Yerushalayim? Yes, 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 yes. This is the same place. Huh. It's the Yivus that's in the area of Yerushalayim, and. They say, you know, let's stop over here. But he says, this man from Levi, and it doesn't say his name ever, but this man from Levi says, you know, I don't want to stay in this place. It's not a Jewish place. Let's go, let's find a closer Jewish city, and I'm sure we'll be taken in. And therefore, they travel a little longer, and they came to the place called Giva. And Giva is in the tribe of Binyamin. Now, 
it's 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 really um, interesting and ter- terribly sad that it seems that this Giva was a city that the inhabitants of the city were very, very terrible people, very, very wicked, very, very evil people, to the degree, as the Pasuk describes it here, it's very alike, akin to Sodom. You know, way back way back in the Chumash, we have the, the uh, cities, the famous cities of Sodom and Amorah that were always the hallmark of evil, of wickedness. And it seems that at that time, in this city of Giva, there was many Jews, and they acted like the people of Sodom. And it's interesting, it's really amazing how the, the uh, Navi over here in Shreftin describes what went on in that city. He says one thing is they would not invite someone into their home. So this man and his wife come to the city of Giva, and they're outside in the street waiting for someone to invite them in to, just to sleep for the night. And nobody's inviting them. Everyone sees them as a stranger in a town, and everybody passes them by, and they're stuck in the street of the city. Until, it says, an elderly person, a zakin, an elderly man, walks by, he comes home from work, and he says, what are you doing here? And they say, listen, we came to the town, we're looking for a place to, to uh, sleep, to spend the night, and nobody is letting us into their home. And in fact, they say, we have our own food, and we have our own drink, we'll take care of ourselves, we're just looking for some shelter. And the old man says, no, 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 you come into my house, and you don't have to worry about anything, and it's all on me, I'll take care of you. And he brings them into their home. And at this point, the Pasuk says that many people of the city, Anshe Bli'al, the word Bli'al is always used for people who are very wicked people. Bli'al is really put together of two words, Bli'ol, that they don't have the Ol, ol Malchus Shemayim, they don't have any yoke of heaven to them. And the people are crowding around the house and say, send us out the guests who came to your house. And of course, this is reminiscent, Mamash, of the story of Sodom, exactly the same story. Right, just like when you had, um, again, hundreds of years earlier, when the Malachim came to Sodom, and Lot took them into their home, and the people of the city surround Lot's home, and they demand that they, he sends out the people. They want to hurt the people. They want to kill the people. Um, they, so these people do exactly the same thing in Giva. And they surround the house, and they're saying, give us those people. We want to, we want to know those people. V'neida osam. And you have the different mafarshim. Some say that they're referring to um, they wanted to uh, sexually attack them. Some say they want to kill them. The different mafarshim. And the old man goes out and he argues. He says, "Don't take them." It's really a, a replay. It's a replay of the story of Sodom and the Torah. At the end of the story, the woman, the pilegish, um, is. It seems that the husband saved himself, hid himself. And the, the men outside get a hold of this Pilegish, this the wife of this man, of this, of this Levi. And there's a, a gang of people there, and they rape this woman, it seems, repeatedly. And in the morning, she's found dead in front of the house. That's the story of Pilegish Begiva. She is found, when they open the door in the morning, um, the, the gang is gone, the gang has dispersed, and this woman is dead in the front of the house. The husband, the Levi, takes her body, and he's he's very angry. Obviously, he's angry, he's upset, he's devastated, and he wants Klal Yisrael to do something about this about this nivala, about this uh, tragedy. And he does something very, very extreme, which is he cuts up the body of his killed, murdered wife, 
and sends to, into 12 parts and sends one part to every Shevet. And he says, look what's going on in Shevet Binyamin. He says, Nivala zu this, this type of, um, of crime was done amongst the Jewish people. There never was such a story. From when we left Egypt, we never had such wickedness amongst the Jewish people. And he's calling out to all of Klal Yisrael, what are you going to do about this? It's interesting, there is a sefer called the Megala Amukais. Megala Amukais is a great sefer, it's uh, Kabbalistic. A lot, of, uh, a lot of Kabbalistic ideas that are brought in Chassidus are brought from him. His name was Reb Nassim Shapiro, he lived, he was the Rav of Krakow in Poland some almost 500 years ago. Um, before Chassidus, before the Balsham um, but he has a sefer and explains many things according to Kabbalah. And he says something interesting. He says that before Mitzrayim, before Egypt, the world was filled with all different types of sins and all different types of wickedness. As we discussed a little bit when we learned Basi Lagani about the various sins that chased away, so to speak, Hashem from this world. And he says that through the Golos of Mitzrayim, through the exile of Mitzrayim, the Jewish people were able to be metakin, were able to correct um, a number of the great sins of the generations that were before Mitzrayim. He said specifically the sins of Sidom and the sins of the Mabel, the generation of the flood, and the sins of the Dor um, Haflaga, the, uh, the, um, the, the, uh, the tower, and the sins of Enosh, Enosh who denied Hashem, who began idolatry. And in fact, he says that that's hinted to when it says that Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, it says, Hamotzi Eschem Mitachas Sivlos Mitzrayim. That Hashem took us out of the bondage of Mitzrayim. He says, if you look at the first letter of the words, Hamotzi Eschem Mitachas Sivlos, you have Hey Aleph Mem and Samach, and they refer to the sins of Haflaga as the Hey, and Enosh is the Aleph, and um, Mem is the Mabel, and Samach is Sidom. He says how everything is alluded, he's very into how everything is alluded to in the Torah. And the point being, he says, that Mitzrayim was there to be Mesakin, to correct some of the great sins of the generations. And that's what this man is saying over here, that we've already corrected the sin of Sodom. We went to Mitzrayim, we corrected the sin of Sodom. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't have a reoccurrence of Sodom. We shouldn't have a reoccurrence of a wicked place that doesn't take in a guest and that will and that rapes and that murders. He says, how can we allow that in Klal Yisrael there should be a repetition of the sins of Sodom that we have supposed to have already totally rectified? And that's the message that he sends out to the entire Klal Yisrael. That's the end of chapter 19. And chapter 20 begins that Klal Yisrael is indeed incensed. Not just incensed, the entire Jewish nation gathers to stand up against the tribe of Binyamin. And again, this is the first time in the history of Klal Yisro, and perhaps the only time that it's the entire nation against one Shevet. And the, uh, the Pasuk says that the Jewish men as a whole gathered an army of 400,000 men to do mishpat, to do judgment with Shevet bin Yamin for having allowed such a wickedness to take place within its borders. And they come together, all 400,000 men, and they gather outside the uh, territories or the, uh, the sections of Binyamin and they demand, they send a messenger to Binyamin 
they're demanding that Binyamin hands over all of the perpetrators of the crime. Whoever those uh, perpetrators were should be handed over to be put to death. And that's, that's the only way that we will go back to our homes when we have the perpetrators of this crime. And Binyamin does not hand over those perpetrators. It doesn't say why. It doesn't say if Binyamin felt that they were right or Binyamin was um, embarrassed or Binyamin was too proud. For whatever reason, the, Binyamin, the leadership of Binyamin or whoever was the leaders at the time um, told the Jewish people, no, it's our own business. We'll deal with it our own way um, and we are not beholden to anyone. And at this point, Kalal Yisrael all comes together and go to the Mishkan. It says, the, the Pasuk says, Vayakumu al Beis Eil. They went to Beis Eil. So, but the Mepharshim say, it doesn't mean the city Beis Eil. It means they went to the house of Hashem, which was in Shiloh. Right? The Mishkan was in Shiloh at the time. And they dive into Hashem, and they said that we feel that we have to go to battle against the Sheva bin Yamin. And they asked through the Urim Vitumim, which was in the Mishkan, who should lead the charge of battle against Binyamin? And the answer came back, Shevet Yehuda, um, which was always going to be the answer. Um, all the way back to the beginning of Yeshua and Shoftim, whenever the Jewish people went to battle, it was always Shevet Yehuda, who was considered the king amongst the Jewish people, who always would lead um, would lead the charge. So the answer came back, the Shevet, Binyamin should lead, Shevet Yehuda, that is, should lead the charge against Binyamin. Now, the Jewish people are not going to go to battle, to war against the tribe of Binyamin, but Binyamin wasn't a weak nation. And Binyamin gathered an army, the Pasuk says, of 26,000 soldiers, um, plus 700 tr- tremendous fighters. The Pasuk says that were that they would uh, they, they had the art of, of um, using, uh, what's, what was it called, the slingshots and kolea alasaira. They were tremendous uh, marksmen. So Binyamin gathered a formidable force. So we have, I mean, they're way outnumbered. We have the 400,000 uh, soldiers that are of the 11 Shvatim and the 20 versus the 20, uh, 26,000 plus 700 soldiers of Shevet Binyamin. And they go to battle. And on the first day of battle, the Jewish people lose heavily to Binyamin. The Pasuk says 22,000 Jewish men, warriors, of the, of the 11 Shvatim were killed on the first day of battle. We're talking about a terribly bloody bloody battle here. So, the end of the first day, the Jewish people regroup and they recognize that they really lost that day. And they come back to the Mishkan and they come back and they cry to Hashem and they ask Hashem again through the Karnam, should we go to battle again? And the answer is received, yes. So the second day they go to battle again and again, the Jewish people are really routed by Binyamin 18,000 men are killed on that day. So between the first and the second day, we're talking about 40,000 soldiers on the side of the of the 11 Shvatim that are killed. And the Jews come back that night and they're devastated. And again, it says they fast and they cry and they bring karbonis. And they're convinced they're doing the right thing because they're, they're, they're trying to stand up against the wickedness that occurred. And they come, and here it says they come to the, the Navi. And I said there was there's one mention of a Navi here. They come to the Navi. Which Navi is the one who we always come back to? Pinchas. And they ask Pinchas, Ben Elazar, they ask him, should we go? Maybe it's a sign that we shouldn't have gone these first two days. And Pinchas himself davens. And he comes back to him and says, no, tomorrow you should go to battle. And tomorrow Hashem will give them into your hands. Tomorrow you will be successful in battle. And that's what happens. And the next day, 
Um, the Pasuk describes the battle at length. I'm not going to go into the details. It was an entire, um, uh, what's it called? A scheme when they, uh, they drew them from one place to another place. I'm not saying the right word in English. But they were able to draw them from one place to another place. Um, and on the final day, even though at the very beginning of the battle, again, Binyamin seemed to have the upper hand. It says that 30, 30, uh, 30 soldiers from the Jewish people were killed at the beginning of the battle. But then it totally turned around. And the entire army of Binyamin was wiped out. We're talking about 25,000 men that were killed from Sheva Binyamin. All the men of Sheva Binyamin. But not just the men, because they also burned down the cities from the back. It was a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was a ploy. And they, they, they drew them away from their city, and then they surrounded them from the back, and they burnt down the city. Really, the tribe of Binyamin was all but wiped out on that day. And it says that there were 600 warriors of Binyamin that were left, and those 600 ran away, and they went to a place in the Midbar called um, Selarimon. Literally, the, the stone of the pomegranate. I don't know why it's called that way. Maybe it was a stone that... Maybe it was a stone that was in the shape of a pomegranate. But that's where the, the remaining 600 soldiers went. Now, the question is, why did this all happen? Because why the first two days did the Jewish people lose so many people? Because if they were doing the right thing, and it seems that they were, and they were standing up against the wickedness that was perpetrated in the, uh, the tribe of Binyamin, and Binyamin did not want to give away, give up the uh, perpetrators of the crime. So why were the Jewish people punished the first two days? And the Mepharshim say, and uh, the Chidah talks about this a lot, Chidah is Reb Chaim Yosef David Azulai, another one of the great Sadiqim, lived a couple hundred years ago. He wrote many books, and he wrote on Tanakh as well. And he writes about it, but others write as well. He says, you have to remember, the Jew, it's not as if the rest of the Jewish people were Sadiqim either at the time. While this is going on, the idolatry is going on in Shevet Don. The whole story of Pesel Micha, that um, idol worship and that um, that great uh, center of idol worship, was ongoing. So here, the Chida says Hashem was actually quite upset. He says he says when it comes to a crime that was done here in the in the tribe of Binyamin, so everyone is protesting and everyone's going to battle about them. Where is everyone? about the Chilol Hashem, that you have thousands and thousands of Jews that are idolatrous every day. So though, on the one hand, it's true that this battle was a proper battle, an appropriate battle against the tribe of Binyamin, at the same time, Hashem was indicating to the Jewish people that He's very happy with them as well, very unhappy with them as well, and for all the idolatry that's going on amongst them as well. And that, says the Chidah, is the reason why the first two days, instead of Binyamin falling, you have 40,000 men of the Jewish camp, of the rest of Kal Yisrael, that falls to Binyamin because of the ongoing sin of idolatry that's going on in their camp as well. And in fact, he says that's the reason why the first day, the, the, the numbers are very interesting, very telling. The first day, 22,000 soldiers die. What is 22? When we think of 22, what do we think of? The 22 Oasis of the Torah. The Aleph base is the 22 letters that refers to the Torah. The second day, 18,000 men died. 18,000 is Chai. Is Hashem is called Hashem is the, the life of all of, of, of this world and everything, the energy of the world. And Hashem is telling, where, where is your devotion to the 22 letters of the Torah? Where is your devotion to Hashem? Why are you only incensed when there's an act of w- wickedness? 
uh, between man and man in the tribe of Binyamin, what about the wickedness between man and God that's ongoing as well? And that's why the first two days, there was this, um, this uh, terrible losses at battle um, in the side of the Jewish people as well, the rest of the Jewish people, that is. But anyways, on the, be that as it may, on the third day, this is what happens. There is the total devastation of entire tribe of Kal Yisrael, the Shevet of Binyamin. And that's the end of chapter Chav, Perichav. Perichav Aleph begins the final chapter. And the final chapter begins that the Jewish people take an oath and they're so angry with the tribe of Binyamin. And they're so incensed, with, both with their wickedness and then with the going battle against the rest of the Jewish people and so on, that they make a collective shvua, a collective oath, and that is that no one is going to give any of their daughters for marriage to the men who are left from the tribe of Binyamin. Now, at the end of the day, there's, there's 600 men left in Binyamin. That's it. Binyamin is devastated. There's 600 men left, 600 soldiers that are now living by this Sela Rimon, by this, uh, the, the stone of the, of the uh, pomegranate in the Midbar. And now there's a Shvua, a collective altar claw. You said, we're not going to give our daughters to them, which really means the end of the tribe of Binyamin. Because if there's 600 men left, and if they can't get married, that's the end of the tribe. And then the Pasuks are saying that the Jewish people start feeling bad. And there's crying going on, and they're crying, how could it be that there should be an entire shevet, uh, one of the twelve shvatim of Hashem, that should be cut off and cut out from our nation? Ultimately, we know that there's twelve shvatim. The twelve shvatim are the source of Kali Yisrael, and especially spiritually speaking, the twelve shvatim are connected with twelve general ways how Hashem connects to Kali Yisrael. Each shevet has its own connection to Hashem, and only when we're all here is there a shleimus, can there be the completion of Kali Yisrael. And therefore, that's also going back in Chumash, that's why Yaakov, uh, when Yaakov was never able to console himself for, the, for what Yaakov perceived was the de- death of Yosef, it wasn't just because he loved Yosef as a person, but Yaakov knew that Klal Yisrael is made up of 12 Shvatim. And if one is missing, Klal Yisrael is forever incomplete. And at this point, the Jewish people have a feeling of charata, of um, regrets. Not regret that they went to battle against Binyamin because they knew that they had to because of the wickedness that happened, that transpired. But at the same time, they're feeling terrible about the fact that an entire Shevet seems to be cut off totally from Klal Yisrael. So what happens is interesting. Um, two, two things happen. The first thing that happens is, when they, um, when they uh, came together as the whole nation against Binyamin, they made a cheyrem. They made they excommunicated anyone who's not going to join the battle against Binyamin. And was all all the Shvatim, everyone was required, was obligated to come join the forces of Klal Yisrael against the tribe of Binyamin. So at this point, they look, they ask, was there anyone who didn't come? Was there any group? Was there any city that didn't come? And they find yes, there was one city that didn't come. And that was the city of the people who lived. The Pasik says, in uh, in Yavesh Gilod. The people who lived in Yavesh Gilad, Gilad was a, was a small section that was part of the tribe of Menashe, and for some reason there was one group that didn't want to join that battle. And at this point, Klal Yisrael um, sends a, a group of soldiers to um, to punish that city who did not join them in the fight against Binyamin, which they do. And there they find a few four hundred girls. Unmarried girls who were never married. 
And they say, you know what? These 400 girls will give to the men who are left over from Binyamin. Remember, because there's 600 men left over Binyamin. Klal Yisrael had made an oath that they're not giving their daughters to Binyamin. But this group had never joined the battle. So the Jewish people here find a way that we can create a continuation to the tribe of Binyamin. And they take the 400 girls who are from Yavish, Gilad, from the, from the Shevet of Manasseh, and they call the men of Binyamin and say, we have, as a nation, they said, we took an oath that we're not going to give you our daughters. On the other hand, we don't want that there should be a Shevet to the Jewish people. It's ever lost to the Jewish people. And therefore, we have here 400 women for 400 men. Okay, almost almost good. There's still 200 left. 600 men. What is that? 600 men. 400 uh, women. 400 women for 600 men. So there's only, so a man can only marry one woman, obviously. So we have 400 men who, are now, who now can get married, and they do. And they do. So at least the Bnei Yisrael, they do um, breathe a sigh of relief because, um, because it's not the end of Shevet Binyamin. If 400 men are going to get married, there's going to be families. Those children are going to be part of Shevet Binyamin because the Shevet goes by the father, right? Yiddishkeit goes by a mother and the Shevet goes by the father. So at least there's a continuation of Shevet Binyamin. But still, there's still 200 men who are stuck, who can't get married. Because again, they're not, there's only 400 women here. The rest of Klal Yisrael has made a gzera, has made a neder or a shvu, an oath, not to give their daughters to Binyamin. So what's going to be with those 200 men? So the Chachamim are sitting and figuring this out. What can we do? And here, again, one of the odd stories of the Shaiftan, they come up with a, a loophole. And they say that there is a there is a festival that goes on near Yerushalayim. Um, in different times of the year, it doesn't say what date, and the Mepharshim talk about different possible dates, but it says there's a festival and people come and people dance. So they say, they told the, the 200 remaining men of Binyamin, when you see that there's people by that festival, and you see that there are the unmarried girls over there who are dancing. So we're giving you a hatter to go in and take take um, one for those 200 men. Each one can find one woman and take her. No one's going to stop you. Take her as a wife. So that way we didn't give you, you know, we, can't, we, we made a net that we're not going to give you our daughters for marriage. On the other hand, if you'll take your daughter as a wife, we'll, we'll turn a blind eye. We're not going to come after you. And that's what they did. And it's at that time, and that, what's interesting is, you know, we have a yamtiv called Hamisha Asar Be'av, which is the 15th of Av, which is one of the most um, uh, enigmatic yamim Tayyiv on the calendar. Exactly what Hamisha Asar Be'av is. The Mishnah says a number of things that happen to Hamisha Asar Be'av. Some Hamisha Asar was very connected with marriage, and the Simcha of marriage, and so on. Now, two, the Mishnah talks about six events that happen to Hamisha Asar Be'av. Two of them are connected with allowing um, marriages that until that time were not allowed. And one of them is this story of Shevet Binyamin. Because after that genera- after that big battle, when Shevet Binyamin is, is all but wiped out, so and the Chachamim now give the heter for the 400 men of Binyamin to marry these 400 women that they took from Yavish HaGilad, and the 200 men of Binyamin to take to literally, to, to chotef, to grab, to take for themselves 200 women. In fact, going back to Chumash, everything comes from Chumash, um, when it talks about uh, Binyamin, in the brachas of Yaakov, Yaakov says that Binyamin is Binyamin Ze'ev Yitrof. He's like a wolf that grabs. So Rashi says different Pirushim. One of them is his, Rashi was, that Yaakov was already prophesizing that there will be a time that they're going to have to grab their 200 wives, those 200 leftover men of Binyamin. 
Levida as it may, that was on Tesvavav. The 15th of Av was when the Gzera against marrying into Binyamin was nullified. Because once the 600 men were, were taken care of, that they could get married, then the Chachamim removed the Shvua. They said there's no more Shvua, and then Binyamin was able to um, rejoin Klal Yisrael. That, at that point, they, they felt that Binyamin had received um, the appropriate punishment, and, um, and that they were able to lift the Gzera. Um, that was one Gzera. The other Gzera of marriage was the, with the story of um, the story of Mena- the, uh, the daughters of uh, Tzlafchad ben Menashe who inherited the land of Eretz Yisrael. The five sisters who inherited the land of Eretz Yisrael. So a mitzvah was given they should marry only their own uncles, people from their Shevet. Because since they were inheriting land, so the, the heads of Shevet Menashe didn't want the land to leave the Shevet Menashe. So on the 15th of Av, they took away that Gzera as well. And said, when a person, when even when when a woman inherits land, she can marry whoever she wants, and it doesn't have to stay in her shevet. And that's why the day of Hamishra Vasarbav became associated with shiduchim, because of both of these um, shiduchim limitations, so to speak, were lifted at Hamishra Vasarbav. The limitation of Binyamin marrying into the rest of Klal Yisrael, the limitation of a woman who is inherit who inherits land not to marry anyone out of her tribe. All of those restrictions on Shiduchim were lifted in Hamish Asarbav, and that's why Hamish Asarbav has become historically a time of Shiduchim, a time of Simchas, connected to Simchas of Chasana. That's on a, on a simple level. There's Kabbalistic reasons behind Hamish Asarbav, which we're not going to get into here. But this is really how the end, how the book of Shaitan finishes. Um, it finishes that once B'nai Yisrael felt that justice had been served, um, so they all returned back. Everyone returned. You're here you had the whole Klai Yisrael had gathered for this to this battle, and at this point it says that everyone returned back to their homes, and it finishes. Uh, and this at this time, all the Jewish people went back to their own sheva, to their own areas, to their families, um, and to their nachala, to their portion in Eretz Yisrael. And the Pasuk, again, finishes with the same verse that we keep on hearing. But this is the very last work, uh, verse in the book as well. In those days, there was still not a king amongst the Jewish people. And therefore, people did as was fit in their eyes. And that becomes a the closing statement of this book of Shaiftim. Um, and there's a number of... We'll just finish here with a couple of points. Um, one point is, of course, we finish here on a very sad note, a very sour note, on two levels. First of all, such such wickedness that we haven't read about really since Sedoim, and we see it here happening in the tribe of Benyamin, in the, in the tribe of Giva, and then the story of a destruction of an entire tribe of Klal almost almost the enti- complete destruction of a, an entire tribe of Klal Yisrael. On the other hand, it's important to say the following. By the fact that's, that this wicked act brought about this level of retribution by the entire Klal Yisrael, tells us that such a wicked ha- act only happened once in the entire history of those hundreds of years and was seen with this level of severity that it was worthy of Klal Yisrael to put everything aside and to go to war against their own brothers for it. So whereas on the one hand we learn about a terrible uh, moral failing on the other hand, we see that as a nation, we were a nation that was not only appalled by this terrible act of immorality, but appalled to the degree of ultimate civil war. That means the Klal Yisrael did stand up to the test 
of when evil and wickedness happens to recognize it for what it is and to stand up against it with the ultimate force and taking the most ultimate powerful measures against it. So whereas on the one hand we learn here about a terrible act, we also learn about how that terrible act was not condoned whatsoever to, and to the very to the opposite, brought about the best in Klal Yisrael standing up against such wickedness in the most extreme way. I think that's an important point. Another important point is that even after they went to war, and even after they went to battle, and even after they suffered so heavily, they had the feeling, how could we let a tribe of Klal Yisrael fall out? And so even after Klal Yisrael suffered terribly by Binyamin, we're talking about, as we said, 40,000 men that they lost, that the, that the rest of the Shvatim lost in the war. Nevertheless, after the war, and after you know the moment of victory, they felt the need to, do, to bend over backwards in order to see what they can do to help uh, see to it that Binyamin is not lost from Klal Yisrael. Binyamin, the youngest of the Shvatim, Binyamin himself was one of the, uh, uh, the greatest, the, Binyamin in a certain way was the greatest of all the Shvatim as a person, as a human being, as a tzaddik. And in fact, the Beis Hamikdash ultimately is going to be in the section of Binyamin. We know Yerushalayim ultimately is in the section of Binyamin. So Binyamin is one of the great Shvatim of Klal Yisrael. And Klal Yisrael, with all the wickedness, saw to it that after punishment was served, and after they felt that Shuva was accomplished, so they did everything they can to make sure that this Shevet would not be lost to Klal Yisrael. And that's another important angle that we have to remember when we see wickedness and we have to stand up against wickedness, but we always have to be um, open to see to it that there's, some, that there's an ability for Tshuva and that nobody should ever be totally lost to Klal Yisrael. And finally, and finally as, the, as we began the first Pasuk in learning tonight and the last Pasuk, both say that it was a time when there's no Melech. And that's the importance of, of, of Melucha. Sometimes we enjoy when there's no king. Sometimes we enjoy when nobody's on top and nobody's telling us what to do. But we know what it says in Pirkei Ovis, The world needs um, government. And the, world, the world needs rulers. Mankind needs government. Mankind, other, otherwise it's anarchy. Even when the rulers and government are not the way they're supposed to be, it's still better than when there's no um, government and there's no rulers. Um, and that's why the Mishnah says, that a person should always pray that malchus, that there should be real government. And as the Mishnah says in Pirkei if not for the fear of some level of government, people will swallow each other in the streets. Hard to imagine. You know, everyone's such nice people. Why would anybody hurt each other? But nevertheless, the way Hashem created us is that we need malchus, we need malachim. Of course, we pray to have the right malachim and good malachim and kind malachim. But the Mishnah says, no matter what, it's better than not having a malach. And that's why as we finish shoiftim, we prepare for the next sefer, which is malachim. And this one section of time of shoiftim is such a difficult time and so much failings and ups and downs. And even with great tzaddikim who appeared, who we learned about throughout the, the sefer, but primarily it's a, it's a time of lack of leadership. And therefore, it's a time of tremendous amount of sinfulness, both between man and God, as well as, well as between man and man, as we've read throughout this Sefer of Shaiftim. And this all becomes, again, the Hakdama to the next Sefer, or the next two Sefer, which is Malachim, Malachim Aleph and Malachim Beis, that Be'ezer Hashem, I, learned, I look forward to learning together with you in the coming weeks. Having said that, though, I want to say one point, which is next week we'll take, before we begin Malachim, we'll have a one week before Purim, and we'll do a uh, pre-Purim class next Monday. Emir Sashem, and then after Purim, 
Um, we'll talk about before Pesach, how long we'll go for, but then we'll start Malachim, Amir Tzah Hashem. Great. Quick, quick question. Just what 